Isn't that amazing? Yay, winter's over. People are excited. <laughs> we are headed down the home stretch of our first year in this three-year ministry plan of uh, that we are laying out here, developing people through gathering, serving, and learning. And our first year is that it's better to gather. And as we've done that, we began by looking actually at the destination. We began by saying, where does God want us to go? And uh, we considered why it is better to gather, because it's all tied into where He wants us to end up. And then we moved back to, what is it that God has given us? And we took some time to study through in the first chapters of the letter to the Hebrews, who this Son is, in whose name we gather. And then finally, in this, uh, this winter and into the spring and carrying us now to the, uh, to the beginning of summer, we're asking the question, uh, why is it that he wants us to gather and the purpose of it all? And I have inclu- uh, I've offered you five R's that I think will help us take our Christian walks to the next level. That first of all, we must receive the promise that He's given to us and live in the light of that. That we must then uh, deepen this relationship with Him and with each other and they are interconnected. You can't have one without the other. There is no such thing as an individual that isn't in relationship with Christ and others. It's not intended to be that way. Uh, to be individual, that is. But to be rather in relationship both with Him and with others. Then we talked about rest. We took a month of rest, right? That felt good, didn't it? Maybe been a little more challenging than you might have thought. And now as we've uh, come through the missions conference in Easter, I'd like us to finish with these last two R's and finish well in areas of resilience and resistance. And in these last two, we most certainly need each other. Resilience. What is that? That's the power or ability to return to an original form or position after having been bent or compressed or stretched. It's elasticity. Resilience. This is a proactive pursuit. We're going to spend a few weeks talking about this. Resilience. Do this. This is a proactive pursuit. Bounce back. You can do this. And you're going to need a brotherhood and a sisterhood to help you do that. You can't do this one alone either. That's why it's better to gather. But then we're going to talk about resistance. And that is the act or power of resisting or opposing or withstanding. Um, This is a don't do that. So resilience is about doing this. Resistance is about not doing that. Resilience is about a a proactive pursuit. Resistance? I had to alliterate this. So I worked on this one. This is an intentional intransigence. Okay, whatever. When was the last time you used the word intransigence? It just means to uh, to oppose, to, to stand, to withstand. Don't do that. And you're going to need a brotherhood and a sisterhood for that as well. 
So we're going to spend three weeks on each one of these, resilience and then resistance. So to start, how do we develop resilience? What is it that makes us resilient people? Well, for this week, I'd like to offer first step, resilience remembers. And it remembers what happens. Hebrews chapter 10, and I'd like to begin reading in verse 19. So Hebrews chapter 10 beginning in verse 19. And there we read, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light. When you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. And you sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession or possessions. So don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Pray with me as we... Consider these words. Heavenly Father, help us today to remember. To remember who you are. To remember who we are. To remember what you want to do. And if we don't know it, Lord, I pray that you'd open our eyes to it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, most of this chapter, actually, we dealt with already when we were considering uh, the destination and why it's better to gather. But it sets up this great finish that I want us to complete in these remaining weeks. And it begins, really, this concept I want to share with you this morning in verse 32. 
In the NIV, actually, the word but is taken out at the beginning of that uh, verse. And really, it's there. He says, remember. But he really says, uh, and the NASB renders it better, but remember those early days after you had received the light. Now, why is that important? It's because the previous verses here were were a little rough, weren't they? <laughs> it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a holy God. Well, he, by that word, is saying, okay, but I know better about you. Because you need to remember what God has already done, what He's doing, and, and what He wants to continue to do. But you remember, he says. And this word remember, each time it's used, is always connected to a person's behavior. Let me give you a few examples. Um, in 1 Corinthians, uh, he, uh, he, Paul is writing to this church and he says, Timothy is going to come and he will remind you, same word, of my way of life, of the way I behaved. And I want you to follow that. Later, speaking to that very Timothy he was referring to, in First Timothy, he says, Now, Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God that, he, that you have within you. That behavior I want you to carry out. I want you to do it more and do it better. This word is used uh, of Peter. He's, uh, it's been predicted that he will deny the Lord. And in Mark chapter 14, uh, although prior to that, just a few verses before, he said, even if I have to die, I'll never deny you, right? And then he does, and then the cock crows. And there's the word again. Peter remembered what the Lord had said about what he would do, his behavior. Hmm. And then another one I find fascinating that most people don't realize this church of Corinth was a problematic church in the New Testament. We say we always want to be like churches in the New Testament. Well, do you want to be like that one? It was a mess. And uh, Paul had to write all these letters trying to straighten them out and, and, and go there and work there. There was this guy behind the scenes. His name was Titus and he kept going and really he was the the silent mastermind behind turning that situation around marvelously as we see the difference between the first letter to them and the second letter to them. And, and Paul refers to this by saying, Titus, um, his affection is greater for you when he remembers how all of you were obedient. Isn't that interesting? Tied to their behavior again once they had turned around. In fact, this same Greek word uh, is used in the Old Testament. You say, wait a minute, the Old Testament is in Hebrew. When the Old Testament was translated into Greek, it's called the Septuagint. And in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, we, say, we find the same word used for when God remembered Noah. Oh, but God, it was terribly sinful, right? And then he says, but God remembered Noah and his righteous behavior. It's also the same word uh, when, when uh, the Lord told them to put tassels on their garments to remind them of the commandments. And when they move and when they jingle, they would actually put bells on there too. When they you, you remember the things that I have told you to do. You see, resilience remembers. And it remembers what happens when we're supposed to do the right thing or the right things that we are supposed to do. 
I remember coming back from Italy after our uh, first term there, and, and we had all these friends in New York that we had uh, worked with and spent time with and, and developed, and God did a wonderful thing there with a small group of young adults that we brought together, and it grew, and, and a number of them got saved, and then they all, you know, met each other and married each other, and it was just great, and they're still friends of ours, and a lot of them live around here. We came back, and I was excited because they were supporting us, sustaining us, helping us, and, and uh, I, I was at a meeting with them. I was telling them all that was happening that we were doing, and uh one of these guys that had been a part of the first group, just two or three of them, right from the very beginning, but faithful all the way along. After I kind of threw my pitch of all that we had been trying to do and what we were trying to accomplish in that uh, difficult country, he looked at me and goes, you know, Barry, that's, uh, that sounds just like what you did with us. Nothing different. And it was true. We were simply trying to reproduce ourselves and other people and I was so encouraged by that. Now, I was a little taken back because I thought, well, you know, wait a minute. I, th- I thought I was doing something new, but really, in reality, I wasn't. I was doing the same thing, trying to get these people to move along and invest themselves in others and, and, and multiply themselves in other people. And, and I was encouraged that, you know what? If it worked there, it could work here. Remember what happens when you do what you're supposed to do. So... Resilience remembers, and he wants us to remember what you did and exhibit that again. Bounce back. Proactively pursue these things. Do that and do it again. But let me get more specific. What does he want us specifically to remember? Well, I'll give you a few things. He wants you to remember the person we're answering to, the one we're dealing with, and that's these difficult verses here from 26 on, if you deliberately keep on sinning after you've received this, I mean, you don't want to do that. We have a just God. Listen to this. We have a just God. He's quoting here from Deuteronomy. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, God says. He said it there, so the Hebrew author brings it up again here. Not the only one. Paul uses the very same passage that he quotes in Romans chapter 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, I will avenge. It's mine to avenge, and I will repay. The Lord will judge His people and have compassion on His servants, He says. Psalm 135, the Lord will vindicate His people and have compassion on His servants. Jesus Himself said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The latest buzz in our evangelical community so regarding this concept of hell, a new idea is that maybe this horrible idea of hell has been used to scare people into heaven. And then lots of people have just decided to believe in Jesus because they don't want to go to hell. So that means that God is, I mean, that Jesus actually is actually saving you from God. Um, no, that's not true at all. 
The idea of ultimate justice isn't man's cruel invention to manipulate other men to do what they want them to. Instead, it's the truth of God written on every heart. You want justice, don't you? We all do. We know what right and wrong is, and we want things to be made right, don't we? It's not right that people are victimized, and we want that to be taken care of. The problem is that we've taken that into our own hands, and we've tried to be the great seekers and meters out of justice. The problem is, we're not perfect at it. It's always suspect. And we're frail and we're failing in it. Instead, God who is perfect and all-knowing takes that responsibility on Himself says, you can't do it. Don't worry about it. I will. Hell makes it all right through His justice and His holiness. Now, I know what you're thinking. Uh, how could we really know whether that person really deserved it or not? You can't. He does. Because He is all-knowing. And He is just and He is pure. And He will determine what sin will be punished with eternal damnation. And He can. And it's right. He's a just God. Resilience remembers what happens when we try and take advantage of a holy God. We don't want to do that. That's not me saying it. Check your heart. Don't you want justice to prevail? Well, who better to establish true justice than a holy and true God? Trust His perfect justice. And therefore, walk in humility in your behavior. What you do does matter. This word, remember, is always tied to behavior. What you do does matter. Financial mogul, you cannot do whatever you want with other people's money. Star athlete, you can't have your way with any woman you want. Famous actress, Actor, you cannot live any way you want without consequences. That's so true nowadays that you know that I didn't pick on any single individual by saying those three things. Because any number of you could come up with several examples of athletes, moguls, and actors or actresses. In our world of relative truth, we bump into justice all the time. Your truth, fine, you can believe whatever you want, and I'll believe whatever I want. It's all good until you steal my money, you rape my woman, you abuse whatever. Right? See, in our world of relative truth, we bump into justice all the time. Who's going to meet that out? Oh, I'm glad I follow and believe in a just God who will do that. Resilience remembers what happens when we try and take advantage of a holy God. So we walk in humility in our behavior because what we do does matter. Remember what you did and exhibit that again. 
Let me give you another one. Remember the past we have faced. So, from this difficulty and this severe reality of God's justice that we must heed and carefully seek to follow and, and live within those parameters... Let me also consider the difficulties of our past because the author does exactly that. These are the verses of 32 through 34 of of the difficulty that some of these people faced. And you know what? We have difficult pasts. This word in 32, contest, is, is where we get the word athletics. The idea is that the training is tough, but the reward coming out of it is even better. And I was in Italy, uh, we had a woman who was a part of our church whose dad was a head of a Danish mission organization. And he came come to visit every once in a while because he wanted to see his daughter and his grandchildren. And I asked him to share one time and he came and he brought this cross. And on the back of this cross it says, made by Nepali Christians, so Christians in Nepal, who were in prison for their faith until their freedom in 1991. Prior to 1991, if you lived in Nepal and someone came and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, You were struck by the sin that you had committed against a holy God. And you found forgiveness from that sin so that you wouldn't be condemned to hell, but rather forgiven and restored. You know what happened to you? You went to prison because it was illegal to convert to another religion. And you just did. That was part of it. When you became a Christian, you went to prison. Well, those people did things in that prison. One of the things they did is they carved this cross. They carved the design on this cross. And they gave it to this man. And they said, would you, would you share this? Would you give this to other believers when you go back wherever you are who've prayed for us? Who've cared about us? Who have, um, who have been faithful in, in passing along this message so that we could eventually receive it in this distant part of the world from where you guys came from? I thought it was powerful. These people were saying, uh, we'll go to prison. It's okay. There's so much more, right? And we want other people to know that we're grateful for it. Now, here's the irony of that. As much as my dear brothers and sisters in that church in Ravenna appreciated the story. They had such a hang-up with crosses because of their coming out of Catholicism. They didn't want to post this in their church. They didn't want to hang it up because they have trouble with all of the icons and everything. And you could kind of understand that. Um, but I, I thought maybe we could stick it in a frame, you know, and then put it in there, put the story next to it and kind of explain. And they would be... A re- they really... They, they appreciated it. They didn't want it. So I kept it. Because this is a tremendous testimony of people who would say, thank you for, how's it go? Standing with us, right? You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of, of your property. Because you know there was so much more to come. Greater possessions. So we as, an org, as a church, we're going to have this in June. We're going to have the global day of prayer. We're going to pray for people that have to suffer in ways like this. But it's more than that. What kind of mercy do we show around here for people who have come out of very difficult pasts? Do we glory in the fact that God redeemed them out of something terrible that they had to go through? Is it okay that we have scars around here? Or do we hide them? 
Is it okay that our pasts are difficult and people have been brought through some very difficult things and we can celebrate that God has brought them out of it or, or is that a shameful thing? When we mess up and we make mistakes, is it okay? Do we as, as resilient individuals help people who have been in difficult situations, even by their own doing, and help them walk beyond that into so much more. You see, I think we're supposed to do that. It's okay. We're supposed to join together with those. Sometimes it's of their doing, sometimes it's not. It doesn't matter, does it? He wants to take us through those difficulties to make us that much stronger. There is a fraternal nature to our fight. And we must do it together. So remember the past that we've faced. Because some of us have some difficult pasts. And that's okay. Because together, He can bring us beyond that to so much more. Resilience remembers what happens as we fight the difficulties this world presents. And even we've created in our own lives. We're in this battle together. We need to trust the one who suffered most for us. And walk together with those who suffer. It does matter how you care for other people. After all, we're going to celebrate one this morning that bears scars. Doesn't he? Glorified body, rose from the dead. We celebrated it last week. You'd think that body would be perfectly whole. Except for the scars. They're still there. Scars are okay because they're a sign of what God can bring us out of. One final thing. Remember the promise that we receive. And that's in these last verses of this chapter. We have promising futures. Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. We're not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. This is who we are. This is what we receive. We don't shrink back. We're saved. We can be confident that we'll be rewarded. In my lowest moments, what is it that has kept me going? The whisper in my ear of those closest to me who said, You can do this. You can do this. Now, why would they say that? They'd say that because they knew, they remember what happened before. You've been through tougher stuff than this. You can do this. Isn't that exactly what God did to, to, uh, for Elijah? Remember when he was uh, against those prophets of Baal and, and he set up the great contest and they were supposed to have these uh, altars and their sacrifices consumed by fire but they couldn't bring any matches and we'd have to call on their gods to do it and they tried and their gods wouldn't and then Elijah called down fire from heaven and God consumed it all. How powerful. And then, and then Jezebel... The queen threatens his life and he runs like a chicken and he finds himself hiding and cowering in a cave. Going, oh, I can't do it. And how does God speak to him? In the whisper. In a little breeze that he recognizes as the presence of God and he bows down and he whispers in his ear, 
You can do this. Just like 7,000 others who have not yet given up. You can do this. This is what I promise you. Resilience remembers what happens. That the present is only a passage to a better future. Trust the one who's cheering us all the way. And walk in the light of his return. How you look beyond your present situation does matter. Remember what you did and exhibit that again. Bounce back. Proactively pursue these things. You can do this. So I'd like us to take some time this morning and remember. That's what this is about. So I'm inviting the gentlemen to join us now. And they prepare the table. I want you to prepare your hearts. I want you to remember. I want you to to build resilience into your life by going back and, and remembering. Remember that He's a holy God. And we, we need to, we need to consider how we behave. And that it does matter. And he's just. And so he says, if you are faithful, or uh, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins. Just. Do you hear that? If you confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want you to remember the person that we answer to. Because he answered to his father, didn't he? He was submissive to his will 100%. So we must be the same. He's just. So I want you to prepare your hearts by examining. And saying, Lord... I'm not going to forget that you're a holy God. And the way I behave does matter. And as the Spirit would bring things to your mind, would you confess them? And as you do, that's just agreeing, by the way. Confession is simply agreeing with God that these things are true. And as you agree, then he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So prepare your hearts in a time of silence. Remember who you answer to and allow him to renew your heart because we do serve a just and a holy God. Prepare your hearts.